Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. Welcome back to There Is Always A Way podcast with Dr. J. Strack. And in the words of Dr. J, you'll want to buckle your seatbelt because today's episode will be one for the books. When it comes to student ministry, today's guest has the Midas touch because any place he's ever served has become the premier location for children's and student and family ministries. That's why he's been able to author books like Make It Last and Proven Principles for Effective Student Ministry. He has a Master's of Arts in Religious Education and a Doctorate of Divinity. He served as a trustee at Carson Newman University and the president of the Metro Youth Ministers Conference. And he received the 2010 Lifetime Achievement Award for Student Ministry. There is always a way with Dr. Jeff Lovengood. Here's our host, Dr. Strack. Well, I want to welcome you once again to There's Always a Way podcast. And I want to encourage you, no matter what you're doing, buckle your seatbelt. That's all I can say, and you'll know exactly what I mean, because we're going to talk to one of the most uh, straight shooting son of a guns that I've ever met anywhere on the planet. And I've been a lot of places. I've met a lot of people, and this dude is very unique. We're talking about Dr. Jeff Lovingood. And not only is Jeff Lovingood have his fingers over uh, his fingers on virtually every issue that teenagers have faced in the last 30 plus years. And not to mention that he's ended up being one of the leading experts on helping churches and schools and sometimes even teams go through transition. So we're going to hear an amazing journey about a young man who spent his, he's not so young anymore, uh, he was my youth pastor, in fact, so I'll get to all that. But anyway, in all seriousness, a young man who devoted his life to helping middle schoolers and high schoolers become successful, to be able to navigate those tough teenage years, navigate all the cultural tides that come and go, uh, rip tides and currents. Uh, he's done that now for all these years. He's been numerous schools and, and pro teams. We'll talk about and sports teams, uh, major collegiate teams. So we'll talk about that. But this is a guy I've said for years, if you do youth ministry well, you can do anything. And, and here's an example. And of course, he's written a book that is one of the staples for anyone serious about youth ministry. So we're going to spend some time on that. But Jeffrey, before we start, and you live up to that glowing recommendation, <laughs> before uh, we start, I need to ask you the question we, we begin every podcast with. Jeff, with your background, and as high-charged as you are, and as energetic and as passionate as you are, and all the places you've been, your education, et cetera, what's the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear the phrase or read the phrase, there's always a way? Well, it's a great, one, it's a great phrase. Two is, if you know my background like you do, Jay, is here I was in the seventh grade, and uh, my youngest son who played football at the University of Tennessee with no cracks from you, Jay, in, about Tennessee football. <laughs> but with that, uh, my son likes to say that I redshirted seventh grade. And what that means is, uh, the second time in seventh grade, my English teacher, Nancy Ashley, was walking down the aisle there and, and I was, we were supposed to be reading this book. And she said, Jeff, I want you to read this. And I couldn't, I couldn't read it. And uh, she said, well, Jeff, I'll meet you after class, which will bless every seventh grade boy's heart to meet this English teacher after class. Man. And then she called my mom and she said, uh, told my mom, said, I'd like to meet with Jeff on Saturday mornings and talk to him about his reading. And which another thing I'll bless every seventh grade boy is to meet with his English teacher on Saturday mornings at her house. But Nancy. And you're on a roll. You're on a oh, roll. Bless your heart. Nancy actually taught me how to read with dyslexia. You know, in those days, and I know you have some of the same issues. Hmm. In those days, they would put you in special learning classes, LD classes, and, 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 and not help you. 
my but, world, they made us ride the short bus and, and wear a helmet. I mean, you know, it was scary. Yeah, and I don't mean to no, poke, no, but was, that, that was kind of the way we were treated. It was a death. That's one reason why, Jeff, I really, I think personally, maybe I'm trying to excuse some of my poor decision making and my conduct, but I really feel one of the reasons I've spent so much time trying to be the, the class clown and, uh, and always high is I wanted my friends, my peers to think Jay's too cool for school. He just doesn't care. He doesn't right. need it. Right. Rather than bless his heart, he's too stupid. He can't read. And right. I'd been called dumb and stupid all my life by stepdads and different people on jobs or whatever. So uh, I, I've always felt like you were a brother in about 10 ways, but <laughs> somebody that's gone through what you went through with dyslexia, and then I see how God's greatly used you. Uh, you know, it's amazing, Jeff, how the Lord can take a weakness and uh, somehow make us stronger in some other areas. Sure. Well, they think there's a way. And nobody thought I had a way to even make it through middle school. But I had a lady that believed that I was intelligent. See, the fact of it is, I've come to realize Mr. Gardner writes a book from Harvard about measured intelligence. There's seven measured intelligence. And we do school for about two measured intelligence. One, if we're logically sequential learners and we right. can take a test well, then we can help schools get grant money and then we're going to be promoted well, if you will. But here's a phrase that I've learned. Every student, everybody is intelligent. We just got to figure out where. And they didn't think I would make it through middle school, much as high school, college, grad school, and get my doctor's degree. And what happened was I had a lady that believed that there was a way with me. Big time. And I think if we did student ministry and then there's a way and build a relationship with churches and teams and looked at everybody like, hey, God's wonderfully made them intelligent if you will and there's a way with there's a way with them and with the organization we just got to find the way then what can really happen wow well you've illustrated it and that's a great example jeff there's a, a gentleman i promise you've never heard of all right i promise you because he is a, an astronomer many many years ago turn of the century early on uh and he found a planet no one else had ever seen before. So he's got that going for him. But his name is Zawicki. And Zawicki had a phrase. Everyone is a genius. Absolutely. And the first time I heard that, I thought, well, man, where was he when I needed him? I mean, you know, but... Yeah. But think about that. If we would look at people, you know, I'm a, whenever I, we, we spend a lot of time with students at student leadership, you certainly have been a huge asset to not only student leadership, but the Lyft Tour helping us launch that. And of course, the Youth Pastor Summits, you've been a staple part of everything we've done with that. And you're such a guru for, and a voice for youth, youth ministers, among others. But one of the things uh, I really do believe is that if we, you know, I teach how to get along well with others. I said, just treat everybody like a 10 right. and it eliminates any, well, should I do this? No, just if you believe somebody's a 10, you're going to have a few minutes for them. You're going to be gracious. You're going to say, Hey man, can I do anything to help? Uh, you may find that they're, they're offering to help you, but if we'll just see everybody as a 10. And so I'd been teaching that and sharing that for years primarily about relationships. But then when I read that Zwicky quote, that everyone is a genius, I thought, man, that, that one sentence could transform uh, education. And I love the way you just simply said, if everybody would understand that, they would, it would transform youth ministry as well. Well, totally. Because what happens is, Jay, we do church like we were taught in school. And if I do church the way I was taught in school, most of the way that we teach in church are for logically sequential learners. You sit still as I instill. And I don't know about you, Jay. I, I got a pretty good read on you. If that's the way they're going to teach you or that's the way they're going to teach me, I'm checking out. It's, it's all over but the shouting. Absolutely. That's why I think we got to realize that when we teach students like we were taught in school, 
so many students bail out because they're bored because we're teaching them not the way they learn. Right. And the well, it's another that, language. It's, an, it's, it's almost like you're speaking Mandarin to Absolutely. So if we could assess, get this, if we could assess how students learn sooner and match them up with their teaching, someone to teach their style, the way they learn, if you will, right. then, oh man, I, I like this. I'm successful. Because I'll tell you one thing about us as Americans, as us as human beings, we like to win. And if we, hey, I'm successful, man, I want to be a part of that. But if I feel like I'm a failure or I'm bored with it, I'm checking out. You know, Jeff, for a long time, and I don't brag about this, but, you know, I was first chair in almost everything. First chair. I They always put my desk right beside the teacher's desk. Right, right. So I'm first chair in every class. So, <laughs> Well, that's, that's better than being out of the room. Hey, trust me. Well, Jeff, uh, let's go. I, I, there's so much I want to pick your brain about. I want to, you're such a great resource for uh, businessmen, businesswomen. You're such a great resource for parents, especially for pastors, youth pastors, and folks that are going through transition. So let, let's, let me start with a couple of questions that I can ask you that I may not be able to ask very many. Yes, You've served under some of the greatest best known, some of the most highly effective leaders. Right. So let's talk about a few of those and what you learned from them or maybe what opportunity they gave you. Yes, sir. Um, by the way, I want everybody to know, Jeff started out in Cleveland, Tennessee. Right. And that's where he, you know, made his decision for the Lord began to, and, you know, was, was a student. Then he goes back to Cleveland I think to be an interim for a while to help them in a time of transition in youth ministry, or did you go straight into well, youth the ministry? Crazy thing, Jay, is this: I was eight. My dad had passed away when I was a senior in high school, and so here I was. Didn't have I grew up pretty relatively poor, and not academic. I was academically challenged, and so Gene Mims, Gene Mims, who later became the vice president, I think, of Lifeway. Right. The old Sunday school board at that time with, with Jimmy Draper was the president. He was the pastor here. And we were in between youth ministers. Jim Gibson, who went to work with Bailey Smith at First Southern Dell City, was, he had left and then they had got a youth minister. And so here I was an intern at 18, 19 years old, and I became the student. Pastor. In your home church. In my home church. And so I was like way over, man. I played, went and played football and baseball at Carson Newman. Uh, for Ken Sparks, who is the fifth winningest coach of all time, past Bear Bryant, and uh, learned a lot about him, about leadership, uh, mm. and learned a lot about finding the way, if you way, or a way where there seems to be no way. In fact, uh, I went through a five-hour knee operation, came out of that surgery, and I was by myself. Uh, and my mom had, had couldn't be there because she was trying to figure out without my dad, and my dad was gone. Coach Sparks actually came and picked me up and I lived with him and he taught me a lot about leadership as I was in high, as I was in college and uh, very successful. We won three out of four national championships when I was there, not because I was a great player at all, uh, but he taught me about finding a way Wow! Uh, and, and how some things waking up in the morning, realizing that you're going to serve this day as unto the Lord, then it's unbelievable how you'll find a way. Big time. And there's no telling what you're going to get the opportunity to do if we do what we're what's at hand, if we do it well. And you think about it. I worked with Danny Wood right out of seminary, who was at, who was at Prestonwood. His first church was at seminary, out of seminary, was at First Baptist Russell, who he later, later went to Shades Mountain. Right. He, was guy. He, was, he surrendered to ministry late in life. He was with the Bell Company. And I learned so much as a 24-year-old 25 year old guy with Danny Wood in my first church and Rust in high school, I think was number one in the country in football that year. Learned a lot about ministry and going for it. We'd meet every day. We'd play tennis. And you know what? I learned with him how to lead up to a pastor. It's like what you talk about a lot of time in SLU is how do you lead up? How do you lead across and how do you lead under is how do you lead up to a pastor by 
casting a vision with him on this is why I think we should do this. And if they buy into your senior pastor buys into your why, then you've got a partner in ministry instead of somebody saying, I wonder what that youth minister is doing. Yeah. Why is he doing that? Yeah. Danny taught me how to lead up and cast a vision. Why? Then I went to work with OS Hawkins at first Fort Lauderdale, which was hello. That's your old buddy, which was unbelievable. And that day, First Fort Lauderdale was one of the churches in the country. No, I mean, no question about it. I, I, I believe they pro- averaged about 900 baptisms a year. It was, it was unreal. The craziest thing. We were a worldwide Christmas Eve Christmas pageant on NBC. Right. It was crazy. We'd feed five, 6,000 people downtown Fort Lauderdale with a feast of plenty on Thanksgiving. Jeff, I got to speak at that three or four times. OS, what I learned with Dr. Hawkins was had a dream, a big dream. Hmm. Wow. I mean, cause I grew up in Cleveland, Tennessee and you know, and here I am in country bumpkin going to Fort Lauderdale. And I remember that's the first time I'd met Billy Graham and I had a chance to be Billy Graham's grandchildren's youth minister at Fort Lauderdale with the divisions, GG Graham right. sure. and uh, Tullian and all those, all those guys. And so with that, but Dr. Hawkins taught me how to dream a dream and go for it. Hmm. I never forget him sitting me down in, in, in Fort Lauderdale and said, that's your city. Let's go reach them for Christ. And, and he believed it. Let's go for it. And it, it's unlimited. And he didn't worry about what color they were or what country they were no, from. No, or, no. He said, let's go for it. And I'm like, this guy really wants to go reach these people for Christ. And I want to tell you something. For he taught me that, and that's I've never that's something has been branded on my heart is that big picture. And also, he taught me how to Jay, he taught me how to involve a lot of lay people in the process Hmm. for multitudes of people to have ownership in the process. So they are they're buying in, so they're a part, they're on mission with you to reach people for the cause of Christ. Wow. So I learned from Danny how to lead up the why. I learned from OS, hey, go for it, big vision. Then I came back to Cleveland, Tennessee at my own home church again as the youth minister. They were running about 25 or 30, maybe on a good day, 70. And I want to tell you something, Alan Lockman was the pastor. And we partnered together and we saw our church just explode. And our youth workers, we, we went from very few youth workers to a ton. I never forget, we were baptizing right and left. We were people surrendering ministry. It was God was doing something through not just me, but we. Here's where I coined, I coined this phrase when I was at here the second time, basically. I'm not the student minister at First Baptist Cleveland we are wow i love that and 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 i never forget the past looked at me and said we are i think i thought i hired you to do it and i said well if it's me it's gonna be very limited on what it could be but if it's we it's unlimited on what it could be and so i i said the students are the student ministers the parents the workers and us as staff we're going to partner together to reach our students for the cause of Christ, because this is, now this is a country statement for you, Jay, the cow follows the calf. Man, I didn't hear that a lot growing (laughs) up in Miami and on the beaches of Florida, but thank you for that. We're going to reach a lot. We live in a kid centric society. We're going to reach a lot of lost parents to their kids. Hmm. I love that. Let's reach those kids. And you know what? The kids are going to love to come and want to come. And then we're going to reach a lot of lost parents through that. Well, Jeff, we're talking about uh, techniques that are uh, uh, proven principles when they're able to transfer from the beaches of Florida, the, the Gold Coast, which is what that area is, Miracle Mile, all that kind of kind of stuff and all the glitter and the yachts. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of poverty as well, but you know, it's all in, like in every city, there's, there's the haves and the haves not have nots. 
but the Gulf Coast, I mean, excuse me, the Atlantic Coast there, uh, an amazing but eclectic group. And so these principles work in, the, in, in Tennessee, in the hills, and then it works on the beaches of Florida. Uh, right. Where else did you go? Well, I left, I left here and went to work with, I think, one of the guys with the biggest hearts in the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's Ken Whitney. Well, when I, I, was, would, I would agree with that assessment. When I was with Ken, I learned to have the heart of ministry. Hmm. Uh, uh, this love in people. And when I was there with him, I got to meet, I think, with one of the, the, the best brains, if you will, besides you, Jay. Uh, of, of ministry in the country. And that's, you don't need to hurry past that point. I'm, no, go ahead. No. And that's Tim Heckwist. Oh, my soul. And so when I was in, in Iowa, I get to spend a lot of time with Tim Heckwist, who before that was with Dr. Crystal and Joel Gregory at First Dallas, was with Dr. Rogers before that. No and then question. Kind of I, know, I knew Tim through the years. Uh, brilliant brain brilliant. thinking. And then with Tim... He, we worked on this process that not a lot of people were thinking about. In fact, I wrote the strategy in 1996 or 97, right there with Tim, a next generation concept when nobody was talking about it. In fact, I had a chance to meet with some youth pastors across, across the country. And I was frustrated because student ministry was a silo to itself. And I'm thinking, the areas of ministry, where the preschool children, middle school, high school, college adults, the areas of ministry that were successful would get the money or the staffing. But what are we developing when they get to be adults? What are, they, what are we getting out of that? And I said, the world's talking about collaboration and the church is still in silos. And Tim and I talked about this. I said, what if we build a development plan for birth all the way through high school or college. And mm. then that have a process of development and assess how kids learn sooner. And then they'll be successful. And then when they get out of high school, we have someone on a mission for Jesus. And so what we did, we built a next generation strategy right there with Tim Equis at Ottawa. And uh, we did it with parents and workers and the students. And uh, we built a, a really intentional development plan for parents, workers, and students and with a next generation strategy when I was with Tim. And then he passed away. And then God brought me to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I was worked at First Baptist Concord and helped me. I, I learned how to transition to church a little bit. Dr. Sager was there. He was getting sick. And then I became, I was over preschool children, middle school, high school, college, and a school there. And so I started enlarging my scope of ministry. And that's when I was a chaplain at University of Tennessee for Coach Fulmer for five years. I got a chance to develop the chaplain program at Tennessee and had some, meet some great that's, guys. Y'all, and then you got uh, like electric lights and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean, I learned so much with with Jason Witten and, and a lot of great players, a lot of great men. And Speaking of Jason. I see, I see you Cowboys. I see you Cowboys. They still can't play defense. I know. Well, we, <laughs> we got to get Witten back, but that'll help us at least on third down. He'll be, coach, he'll be coach one day. I believe he'll be. I think he was the coach. But so I got a chance to learn a lot of things. That I think God kind of, Concord in Knoxville took me to the professional, the college and the professional athletic world, which mm -hmm. helped me learn the principles that I was doing in church. This is, it didn't just resonate there. Those same principles resonated in that world also. And they're transferable. Absolutely. That's the, if you, if we could learn that when they're in their first semester of college, if they could catch that, learn that, that what I'm doing, it may seem tedious. I got to read these books. I got to take this test. I got to, you know, I got to pay a price, right. but you're digging a well that'll right. provide water for you. And, you know, that's the, one of the leading definitions, I believe, best descriptions of what, what about being prepared really means is that you dig a well before you're thirsty. 
Absolutely. And now, you also not only had Ken Witten, forgive me for, I don't want to jump the shark here, but I mean, there were a few other kind of, you know, fairly good players that you ran across Besides in Jay your Witten. years with Tennessee. Well, yes. Well, I mean, Peyton. Like, I mean, who oh, Peyton Manning. He's not a bad athlete. He's not, that's good. not bad. <laughs> no, I never forget the time with Dante Stallworth. This is a good little story right here. We were running a pro day at Tennessee, and Dante Starworth was supposed to be a third-round draft choice. And I'm standing beside Mean Joe Green, Dick Vermeil, and Steve Spurrier. And when Spurrier were going from Florida, your Gators, to Washington Redskins, and Dante Starworth was getting ready to run a 40, and he took his tracksuit off. And, and Sean Payton, who was – he just came with the New Orleans Saints. And they were running a 40, and here goes Dante. And they're all going like this with a laser like he just ran a four. I mean, I know I know a lot of high school players say they run this. He legitimately ran a four one nine or a four two, and he went from the third round draft choice. I never forget Steve Spurrier was walking off after that happened, and Dick Vermeil looked at him. He said, "And me and Joe Green said, where are you going, Steve?'" He said, "That's all I need to see." And so the the kid went from a third round draft choice to the sixth pick the NFL draft. So pretty pretty. I got a chance to be around some good guys who I still have a lot of great relationships with still. No, I know you do, buddy. That's uh, Jeff. That's one of your greatest strengths is that not only you've been a lot of places, you've rubbed shoulders with a lot of people, but whenever your name comes up, there's always four or five stories and always a smile and always a uh, man. I boy, back in the day we were cooking. I mean, you know, so uh, one, that's one of your great, great gifts is that relationships matter to you. Totally. Uh, you add value. I mean, I think of, Co of coach former, and of course he was athletic director, many other things there yeah. at, at Tennessee, but what a classy guy he was. Right. Uh, what do you learn from a, a legendary coach? Well, that's, that's a great, that's a great statement. I'll never forget this. And for a Gator to say that about former, by the way, I have his helmet. I have a Tennessee. Can you imagine in my game room? Right. I have a Tennessee helmet. Right. That coach, that coach signed to me. So Philip is literally one of the nicest guys, very uh, brilliant guy. And I, I, there's a couple of stories. I could tell you a story, but I could tell you some plans. Coach Fulmer gave me a strategy that I use, and I still I wrote it in the book. It's kind of a a process, a flow, a formula, if you will, to uh, process thing. One is it, it's kind of five P's. Is one you have to have a purpose, and, and what I mean by purpose is a lot of times as leaders we want to focus on how to do things instead of the why. You know, we talk, and there's a book after that we call the Big Why, but that was after Coach Fulmer taught me these things. Basically, is Right. Players need to know why. Not just how. We spend a lot of times watching film or on practice fields, but why? Because that's the engine that drives the other stuff. And then he would say, give me a plan. A, 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 you have a purpose and have a plan. I have a plan that's easy to understand. That it doesn't matter if you're a recruit from New Orleans, Louisiana, or Athens, Tennessee which are drastically different cultures, but it's a plan both of those guys can understand. Hmm. So I have a purpose, a plan, and then I got to paint a picture for the guys of what it looks like. Coach Fulmer had, outside the dressing room at the University of Tennessee, he used to have a, a step ladder. And every on every rung of the ladder was the next game. And oh, wow, I at, like that. at the top of the ladder was the SEC championship game. And the last run. Did you the put ladder, Florida up there just for no, no, that it was, run? It was usually the second game of the year. You know, we played all besides when we beat you at the 9-11 game at the end of the year. But it usually was the second game of the year. But the top of the well, run. you was, talk about sleight of hands, the way you just kind of slid that in yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I just want you to know that uh, – uh, Las Vegas has banned you because of those kind of slights of hands. But anyway, go ahead. But so you have a purpose, a plan, a painted picture of what it looks like. And then this picture at the top of the rung of the ladder was the national championship game. So every 
every day when they came to that locker room, they had a picture of what the why, the how, the picture. And then the fourth thing was the part that everybody played. He would say this, who's the most important player on – who's the most important person on the football team? Most people say, well, it's the quarterback. Okay, if it's the quarterback, who gets the ball the quarterback? Well, the center does. So the center is the most important player on the football team? He calls the set for the offensive line. The quarterback calls the defense. He finds the mock linebacker. Well, let me ask you a question. How did that center get his helmet? Is he going to play without a helmet? Well, the manager gives him a helmet. So is the manager the most important player? No, what he would say is, is everybody's got a part to play. And everybody has to see themselves as valuable. It doesn't matter. The, it doesn't matter the role. Hey, listen. The manager and the towel boy, and the assistant trainer to the assistant trainer, all of them. Man, we beat We beat this team. We beat. I mean, it's a we. You know. No, absolutely. It's not. It's not self-focused. It's we focused. It's the same thing as I said. Who's the student minister here? We are. So I have, a, I have a purpose, I have a plan, I have a picture, I have a painting, I have a part that everybody plays. And last but not least is Coach Fulman would say, we got to party all the time. we got to celebrate. Let's party. Hmm. Early and often. Little celebrate victories. Celebrate. All the time. And I, I tell you what, when he taught me those, those, and I knew a lot of that stuff, but it was easy to – you know, purpose, plan, picture, part, party with that. And I add in the, in, in the world, I said, in the world, I would think is I would add prayer or I put a circle around all that. I put prayer, the power of God working through all those things. Oh man, hmm. look what happens. If we'll do everything we're supposed to do and we can do, and it's done in such a way that the Lord can breathe upon it. There's no telling what we can accomplish. Absolutely. I, I was a, a guy that I'm, I've been sharing Christ with, and I, I try to ride a bike about at the YMCA for several miles every day. He's come to know the Lord. He owns a real estate agency here in town. I was talking to him about grace yesterday. And, and he, he, talk, he was texting me this morning. He said, Jeff, it doesn't seem like you get bothered by some the little things. I said, well, Max, here's what I've learned is this. I'm going to do all I can, and let's, let's leave the results up to the Lord. He got it. He's got this thing. Uh, you know, at some point in time, you know, sure, do I need to go to work every day as in the Lord? Absolutely. But he's in the results business. The fact of it is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all I can, but I know he's going to go, he's going to work through me if you will. So Jay, I took those principles. I learned at Tennessee to long hollow. Now, when I got to long hollow, David Landreth was the pastor. He and I grew up together in Cleveland, Tennessee, probably one of the most unique men that I've ever met. No I mean, totally. He went to that church. The church was running a couple hundred, 200, 250 people. They couldn't pay for their Sunday school literature. They didn't have any money. It was, I mean, it was struggling, struggling. I was at, I was at Concord in Knoxville. He called me. He said, Jeff, I want you to help me find a student pastor. And then I said, David, why would you ever talk to me about that? And so he, we were best friends since the seventh, eighth grade. He said, Jeff, you never come here. I said, we ever prayed about it. And, I ended up going there uh, and we had, I mean, we just, he allowed me to go for it in ministry. It was kind of a partnership. He was the, in the preaching world. He was relational preaching, very transparent. Authentic, very authentic. Oh my. If you walked in here and heard him preach, you're like, I know this guy and he knows me and he might not, y'all might not even met. I mean, unbelievable. And so we had a partnership. He did inside sales, if you will, and I did outside. My job was, you know, community relations, uh, building relationships with working the with the schools. Can you talk about that just a minute, Jeff? Oh, I'd love to. Because I want these youth pastors, youth ministers, 
uh, I want pastors to realize that we have got to have a partnership, build a bridge to these schools. Totally, totally. I'd love to have this conversation. I went to Beach High School. Frank Carwell was the principal. And uh, I walked in to meet him. I think when you do schools, first thing you do is, as a young student minister, a lot of times we lead, we lead from the student up because we're more the age of the students when we're in our 20s. That's the wrong way to do it, I believe. I think you lead from the administration down instead of the student up because the administration will open or close doors for you. And so what I did, I went to meet Frank Carwell's there, great guys, old timer. I mean, he got his TV on and he's watching Fox News every night. He's a great Kentucky Wildcat guy, bigger than Dallas. And uh, and I went to see Mr. Carwell. My name is Jeff Loving Good. Hey, I, I would like to. Uh, I'm a new student pastor at Long Hollow. He said, you know, we don't do that around here. You, you do your, I said, Mr. Carwell, I don't want to come in and tell you what to do as a, as a principal. We want to, I want to help you accomplish your goals and dreams for your school. What can I do to help you to minister to your schools, to your teachers, whatever. And typical, what you want to do is try to build a bridge. There's a way. And the fact of it is when you go into a, whether a boardroom, a church, or school, whatever, got to find common ground. If there's going to be a way, I got to find common ground. Instead of going to school and say that you, you're not doing this right, this right, this right, you need to be teaching this, this, this. You go into a church saying you got to do this, 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 this. You're going to have an us and them, and you don't want an us and them. You want a partner, and partner in ministry, if you will. And it was about, it was, about August, and Mr. Carwell, I knew they were getting ready to have a teacher in-service training coming up. And I said, hey, Mr. Carwell, do you have in-service training coming up at your school? He said, yes, sir, next week. I said, do you care if we serve y'all a steak and chicken dinner to your teachers for free? He just looked at me. I said, he goes, no, I don't care. And I said, he's, and, and so we, I got all our youth work. I said, here, we're going to do. We're going to have we're going to have a grill night and they're going to have, uh, they're going to have teacher training in the, in the cafeteria. They lined them all. We had all these grills, had all the, all our, our youth workers. They're fixing How are we going to pay for it? I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but we're going to pay for it. And you know what? The youth workers brought all the, all the food. We're grilling stuff. We're serving the teachers. It was unbelievable. Mr. Carl, he's blown away. He's like, what in the world? He said, Jeff, you want to say something? I said, no, no, no. I'm not, that's your team. I'm here to serve your team. We're doing this together so you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. And from that point in time, Mr. Carl and I have one of the best relationships. No doubt. Unbelievable man. I'm telling you what happened, Jay. From that point in time, we started feeding ball teams. We started, he opened doors to speaking to teams. We went from that school and pretty much all of Sumner County, we were feeding all the teams. We were speaking to all the teams. Our youth ministry went from about 45 or so folks to at our heyday. I think we were running, I think Brian Mills took about 1,600 to 2,000 students to camp. Unbelievable. We had, a, we had 144 students surrender to ministry one year. And so it just exploded. And so crazy enough, the ACLU got all furious about it. There was a lawsuit. What? Imagine that. There was a lawsuit between, and, and, and Long Hollow and I was a part of that. There's 13 states in the United States at that point in time that have religious, religious rights for teachers. And from that lawsuit, there were, we had two ACLU attorneys, two ACLJ attorneys, and our two attorneys at Long Hollow and me I was deposed for five and a half hours. And the fact of it is out of that lawsuit, we, we won the suit. And now Tennessee's one of the states that have, that has religious laws for teachers, because what happened, our principals, our directors of schools, they started, they took up for us because they didn't see us as us and them. We were a partner in ministry and helping accomplish what these principals and teachers wanted to accomplish. Jeff, if you'd have gone in there all about scalps, all about baptisms, all about, man, we, we you know, we got to get this, get that. That would have lasted about three days. 
Right. You know, but because you went in earning the right to lead by serving and demonstrating that you're here to help them uh, block and tackle for them, for the, you know, uh, what a great, great model. What a well, great model. I mean, you spread to how many campuses? Oh, my stars. We had six campuses and we had, we had two uh, orphanages in Uganda and we had an uh, orphanage and a university in Haiti. Uh, our church just, I think we, we were running in, in the day, 7,500, 8,000 average attendance from a couple hundred or so. It was just unbelievable. Out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you had to go towards the city to go hunting in the day. But then now the city's grown that way. Robbie Gowdy's doing a great job there now. But here's what happens, Jay. As a society, we silo society like we siloed those church, you know, our church's age groups. But you know what? If we learn to do life together, we live in the neighborhoods. We go to the schools. We, we go to work. We go to church and we sell all that. But you know what we've got to do? we got to learn to do life together. As we do life together, we invest in each other's lives. And you know what? We get to share Christ with that, through that. It's a, it's a do life together model. Wow. Well, Jeff, uh, it takes a team to launch a dream. <laughs> you, uh, you know, so we need to do some more uh, discussions down the road about how to build an effective team, right. even in that local church, no matter the size, how to build an effective team for the men and women that have a real estate company or, uh, you know, a restaurant chain and all the, we have people in every possible position listening, but right. it all rises and falls on your team. And it might be three of you, or it might be 50 of you or a hundred of you, or even more. A absolutely. You know, when I came to after I left Long Hall, David unfortunately passed away. Yes. And uh, God brought me back to my home church, a 160-plus-year-old church to transition a church where Alan Lockerman was here. And he had asked me to come to transition this church. And he had Parkinson's, and he, he was not doing well. And, and then how do you transition a 163-year-old church? Not just music transition. You know, oh, yeah. all that. we were transitioning. I'm talking about total uh, uh, age of the church, you know, getting younger, uh, getting more diversity in gender, if you will. And what does it look like color wise? And uh, the past five or six years, it's been an unbelievable transition of 163 old church. Jordan Easley's here now as a pastor. He's doing a great job, but it took, sure. it took an Alan Lockman to have the humility to say, I need this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support this guy. But it took a humility of a younger pastor said, Hey, I'm not gonna come in. I'm gonna stand on the shoulders of the pastor who's been here before because look what God has did through him. And then, Jay, I think what we try to do here is this make the people believe in themselves so much they become something or not, if you will, because what you want to do is come into a church, not pointing out, you've got to change this music, this color of the carpet, whatever. You come in and you build consensus around the activity of God. Look what God's doing. And you celebrate the activity of God. And then the people start believing in themselves and believing in what God could do with them. And you know what? That transcends age. That transcends you saying, I... I like this song. I don't like this style. You know, it, you become not the consumer, but you become the guy who celebrates what God is doing through you and through us. Mm. And you know what? That transcends through business. You do that on a ball team. You do that in real estate. You do that whatever. If I walk, I'm reading a book right now by David Novak. It's called Taking People With You. Now, David Novak, right. yum brand. That's Pepsi, Taco Bell, uh, KFC, those type of those type of companies. He is the CEO of Yum Brand. Very successful. He wrote this book, Taking People With You. It goes with, I'm gonna find a way. Well, how do you find a way? Eisenhower, I gotta 
through my glasses here. This is. Oz, now leadership is the art of getting someone to do something you want done because he wants to do it. Eisenhower. Now you think about what Eisenhower had to do in World War II with Montgomery, with Patton, with Omar Bradley. He had to get the art of getting someone to do something you want done because he wants to do it. The fact of it is, as leader, it doesn't matter if you're real estate, if you're a matter of your athletic director, I got to get something done. Now I can make them do it or I can get them, hey, I need you to be a partner with me to get it done. Well, Jeff, what role are, I mean, here you are, you've been wildly successful. You've been on the phone all day with uh, athletic directors at some of the who's who of uh, collegiate sports, right. wrestling with some social issues and some policy changes going on. Uh, you're able to speak with authority on that, but you're trusted. You know, that's the thing I, I love that you can go back again. If every one of us would, while we're serving as a youth pastor or associate pastor or whatever, minister, mute, whatever, can you go back? You know, well, that's, that's a great question. Here's the crazy thing. I've been it, back to my home church now. This is the third time. I understand, man. It's like, you're like a bad, they're going, what do we have to do to move this guy on? You know, I think I'll, I think I could call and I do call Dr. Hawkins. Uh, I think he and I have a great respect. Oh, I know him. you do. Yeah. Ken Whitten is one of my dearest friends of all time. And, and coach former and I talk regularly. And so I think as a leader, I think Nancy actually, as a, as a seventh grade English teacher, taught me a lot. Hmm. Here she was. She didn't have to care about me. She could have marked me down as another student. But you know what? She cared about me. Hmm. And you know what? Everybody has value. And so much, and this is a spiritual time, is this. Jesus thought we had pretty strong value. Big time. And so well, the fact of it is, if in essence, it's not about title, like we talk about SLU. If I have to have leadership because of title, that doesn't make me a great leader. But I have influence because I care about people. Hmm. Because people do matter. No, well said, Jeff. We've been talking to Jeff Lovingood, uh, author of uh, what I believe is must read for everyone who's serious. Uh uh, not only about reaching young people, but for teachers, for educators, parents, and of course, uh, church leaders and those studying youth ministry. But those of you trying to build a team, it's called Make It Last, Proven Principles for Effective Student Ministry. Jeff, you've led well from the second chair. You've had a lot of opportunities to go somewhere and be the man, to have the title, be what, you know, be the, be the number one guy. But I can't imagine anybody accomplishing what all you've accomplished uh, by just going and demanding to be the guy. You've been able to do all those things, uh, building a team underneath you, but by leading from the second chair or third chair, Right. Whatever you didn't worry about what the chair was, mm -hmm. and before you know it, you have a chair at every table uh, in the community, and a welcome chair at, every, at, the, at the church, a welcome chair uh, in these schools. So it's a uh, it's amazing uh, what authenticity and consistency uh, can produce. Make it last. I love what you've done. You've been a great friend. To student leadership. You've been a great friend to our youth pastor summits. Uh, you received the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from student leadership at the youth pastor summits, and, and that was a no-brainer. That was a unanimous choice. So, Jeff, we thank the Lord for you. Appreciate you and what you do. Hey, Jay, it is a great relationship we have. I love you and, and, and Diane, great family. And Rachel and I thank the word of both of you. You know, you could add up my ACT score up three times and I come up with my wife's score. She's brilliant. Sure. Uh, got Yeah, I, we've all scratched our heads I, over that deal. But yeah. got three great kids and 
three great grandkids. You got three superstar kids. I'm telling you, man, that's, uh, that's amazing. It's fun. And, and Brent, uh, and your team there, uh, I can remember when Brent Crow and I were talking about, it used to be leadership rocks day and people say, well, let's, we got other, I'm not going to mention other, other names, but there were other names that people were throwing out this, do this. I said, no, you can trust SLU. We want to do, they want to do leadership rocks and reach people and train them and equip them. I'm staying with them. I'm standing beside them. And we're going to have the first, we had the first long haul and they had the first leadership rocks. I believe now it's a lift tour. Right. But uh, all three of my kids went through SLU and all three of them would say it was uh, a huge impact and influence in life. In fact, my son, Trevor, who is now a, a pastor, associate pastor at First Baptist Concord in Knoxville with John Mark Harrison. Uh, I, I never forget he was struggling in his necessary he, ACT. I think he made a 21 on, on the ACT in, in the reading part. And, and then uh, Pat challenged him to read. And if you're going to be a great leader, great, you need to be a great reader. And he started reading. He r- raised his ACT up, score up to, I think, a 31 or 32 in reading. And just just the impact in leadership and the places that they, they went, the people they met, the place they w- went, the things they read, the things they memorized. Oh, my stars, Jay. Hmm. If you go to the to the Louvre or or Rodin's Garden, you look at the thinker and you're processing eternity and and all those things that my kids got to do, they're using that in the Senate where my youngest son is to operate on someone's brains where my daughter is to be at a campus pastor where my youngest, my oldest son is in those areas. And so you've made a huge impact. Well, thank you, buddy. We sure love being able to work with parents like Jeff and Rachel Lovingood. And we also sure enjoy partnering with, uh, with you and with uh, men and women that are committed like you are to reaching this generation. Jeff Lovingood. Hey buddy. Thanks for your time. We'll talk again soon. Have a great day. Appreciate it. And by the way, I didn't have any gator memorabilia or anything. You know what? Very. I'm a humble servant leader. Hey, it'll all be okay. Hey, (laughs) it was awfully good the last two years, but anyway, that's beside the point. We're praying for y'all to have a good five and five season next year. You know, bless your heart. See you, buddy. See you, man. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. Jay Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter JStrack007. If you haven't yet, We'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.